The world of construction is transforming before our eyes. How we design, plan, quantify and build is changing day to day. But it's never been so easy to connect, share and bring people together. Our industry is reshaping. So how do we develop relationships? How do we overcome our fears? How do we generate business? And how do we ultimately become the best version of ourselves? This is Need to Measure. I'm Nick Donaghy. My guest today is... On this episode of Made to Measure, I am joined by Debbie Marsh. Debbie is a qualified quantity surveyor and estimator and has around 25 years experience in the construction industry, having worked for various PQS consultancies as well as builders. She is on the board of directors for the AIQS and was the first female state president of the organization in Australia. Debbie has experience across the entire life cycle of construction, including quantity surveying, design management, estimating, contract admin, and project management. On this episode, we talk about Debbie's journey from working in London to now Adelaide and what it's like working for a PQS compared to a contractor and how we can promote more diversity within the industry. I really hope you enjoy the episode. This is Made to Measure. I'm McDonaghy and my guest today is Debbie Marsh. How's it going, Debbie? Very good. Thank you, Mick. Would you mind introducing yourself and, and what it is that, that you do, Debbie, to, to our audience out there? Because I can never seem to do it justice. <laughs> no, fair enough. Okay, so I'm a QS by profession, if you like. So I'm currently a project slash contracts manager for a small builder here in Adelaide. So pretty much run jobs, estimating, tendering, making sure the guys what they got They've got what they need on the site and everything. So almost two I see in the company, really. Excellent. So, so I guess, I guess with that that accent, you're you're not actually from Adelaide, then. <laughs> no, only been here about seventeen years. <laughs> um, <laughs> so yes, UK originally, just north of London in Luton. Excellent. So, so to take me back then, I guess to to how you got started, Debbie. How did you get into the world of construction? Kind of by chance, I guess. I was a few months away from leaving school at 18 after my A-levels. Didn't want to go to uni and sort of flicking about, seeing what was around, came across a job description for a quantity surveyor. And I thought, well, that's not stuck in the office all day. It's a bit of both, so that might suit. So, yeah, basically went from there. So joined a multinational builder, which was called Costain Construction way back when, 1990, as a trainee QS. Excellent. So, so I guess, did, did you have to have any, you, any experience to, to become a QS or did you have to have any like grades or anything from school? We needed to do well enough to get into a college or I guess you call it TAFE mm-hmm. uh, course. So the company paid for the course, which back then was an ROCS diploma. So... The competition at that time in 1990 was pretty hot because uh, yeah. the market was running hot. So I think there was only about there's 27 in the class. So there was only about six girls, but that's normal. So yeah, we had to do enough with that A levels to get in at that point. What was that like for those first few years in in the training program? 
No, it was good. It was good. I I wouldn't have done it any other way. So we did one day a week at college, one day and a night a week at college, and the rest of the time we were working. So you got that benefit of education and a heck of a lot of work experience at the same time. So because I was with a big builder, I was on a lot of jobs in London. So there was multi-storey office blocks, renovations, car park in the Docklands when Canary Wharf was going up. So it was a, a lot of great experience and because I was based on the site as well. So you got a huge amount of benefit out of that. Yeah. It must have been a pretty exciting time, I guess, with London's always busy, but I guess, you know, 20, 30 years ago, it must have been incredibly busy with, with all the the new structures and the high rise and car parks all going into place and playing a small part of that, I guess. Yeah, that's right. That's right. No, it was great. I mean, you know, the, the it was a little car park, but it gave good benefit because it was a dis- design construct contract. Mm-hmm. Um, so you learned that, that contract worked. And then the next one I did was a 18 story Shelling Core contract, which was going to go over to Barclays Bank. Um, so that was right in the middle of London near the Bank of England. So that was a fantastic experience to be on. So, yeah, I mean, at that time, I think London had the most amount of cranes of any skyline in Europe. So it was, uh, it was, <laughs> it was pretty busy. There's a lot happening. Uh, but unfortunately, as the industry does, uh, it didn't last that long. By 93, we were struggling to pick up work because we had a recession. So it made things uh, a little bit different. Well, that's, that's probably kind of similar to, to how it is now then, I guess, Debbie, and I'm sure there's a lot of people out there who've maybe graduated or had those first few years of, of experience and are looking to get into their, their next role. What, what was that like then? Did, did you get made redundant or were there any sort of challenging times that you had to go through with the company? The company struggled a lot at that time. In the end, I wasn't there for it um, because in the end I was... I kind of got a bit frustrated with how it was going. I went, they didn't have any sites for me to go to. I got moved to the their national estimating department in West London. So that was great because, again, I got more experience with how the estimating thing was done. Mm-hmm. So that was good. And then I got moved to a very small site that we just weren't making any money on because of the way that they'd tended it, um, but that was just company decision at the time just to try and bring the cash flow in. So I left at that point and went to a residential developer. Mm-hmm. But that, that company eventually got bought out by someone else because they were struggling so much. So, yeah, I managed to avoid redundancy because I was only a trainee, so they didn't pay me enough. <laughs> so <laughs> suppose, yeah. They're getting, they're getting their, their, their fair pound of flesh out of you and paying you very, very little. <laughs> but what what was that like getting the next job then during that time? Was it tough? It kind of worked out okay. It was a good company, very forward looking, had developments all over the southeast of England. I ended up going down to their Essex office to be their QS down there, so I got kind of got a promotion. I had a couple of guys in the team working with me, so that was good. So again, I mean it was just sort of as as you go through your career you just pick up the experience as you go along and it doesn't mm-hmm. really matter what you're doing you're always learning because every job is different in this industry mm-hmm. that's what's great about it different people different subjects you're dealing with different sites so it's always good experience that's one thing i find about sort of construction that's quite quite interesting obviously i work in recruitment but 
in essence, there's always a new project to go on. There's like a new breath of breath of life gets blown into the industry or, or into your, your 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 workflow because you've got a new project to go on, which I which I fi- think would be quite interesting. But um, so how did you end up in in, in Australia then, Debbie? Well, we kind of got a bit fed up with the rat race, so I could only ever get a job that was at least an hour away from home. And being in southeast, sometimes that was three hours if there'd been an accident on the M25 or something. Oh, goodness. And the, well, you know, British weather. <laughs> Say no <laughs> not, more. Not the best. <laughs> Say no more, exactly. I don't need to talk about that too much. <laughs> so we had a friend who was put, put his application in for immigration. And we said, hmm, let's have a look at that. <laughs> so... Went through the process, took us about 15 months to get that through. We came off on my skills. So that's why it's important to do the degrees, get that construction management degree done. Because even if you do eventually leave Australia, I'm not sure why you would, but if you want to get that benefit of experience from overseas, always do that degree because it means a lot and you need it when you come if you want to migrate to Australia. So that was, I think we put the application in in 2001, mm-hmm. got approved 15 months later, and then we thought we'd better come out for a holiday and make sure it's what we want to do <laughs> before we <Yeah. laughs> go look, stock and back. <laughs> so, yeah, we came out for about a three-week holiday, went around Sydney, Melbourne, Adelaide, and Adelaide was just the best place to be. Yeah. Came out in uh, April 2003. Just on that, because um, I think that's what you mentioned there's really important about getting the degree to, to come out here. So when you were working, you mentioned that you weren't interested initially in getting going to university. Did you end up combining study in your and getting a degree or how, how did that work out? So what happened, the college course I was doing was supposed to be a four-year course, so a four-year part-time. What happened was that ROCS pulled the Part 3 diploma. Mm-hmm. So they basically said, you need to turn it into a degree. Right. So the college of that franchised the course of the University of Westminster and they turned into a BSc in quantity surveying. So it ended up adding on another year to our studies. So, yeah, but I guess just worked out that it ended up being for the best. Yeah, because I know there's so many people out there that don't know we would love to move to Australia, but maybe don't know where to start off. And and I, and I think it's something that I would have kind of back sitting in school 10, 15 years ago, I wish someone had come in and said, you know what, you need a degree to go to these places. Like it really helps you with your visa because I don't have yeah. a degree and I'm now realizing that it makes a difference. Yeah, that's right. Makes yeah. it easier. Makes, makes it, easier. it easier. Absolutely. Yeah. So obviously you moved out to, to, Adelaide then, what was it like working as a quantity surveyor in Australia compared to compared to London? Very it is different because Australians don't really know what QSs are and what they mm. do. It's just sort of a in the UK it just seems to be an inbuilt genetic thing. Everybody knows what a QS does. So and we you know, we're still trying to educate everyone. So I started working with a, a resi builder because that's where I've been in the UK so I thought that was you know better off starting there so I ran a small team for a house builder in Adelaide 
um, basically pricing up their new custom homes and getting things through and approved and ticked off and sort of just rejigging the way they were doing things a little bit to make it a bit more efficient and cost effective for the company. So, yeah, I guess the experience that I've had in sort of being much more deeply involved in jobs assisted uh, the company because we're not just estimators or contract administrators, which is kind of the, the pocket you get put into in Australia a little bit. Mm. Um, so bring a lot of that UK experience with you. Did you find that it was useful to have that experience in estimating and as they call it, contract administration out here to sort of hit the ground running? You know, was it something that was quite sort of easy for you to to, to deal with? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because uh, because I pretty much only work with builders. So the UK, even though I guess you get called a contract administrator in Australia, in the UK, if you work for a builder, you're still called a quantity surveyor. Mm-hmm. So you're a builder's QA. And you're much more heavily involved. They have less project managers on site. Mm-hmm. Um, so they have a site manager. And if it's a bigger job, you might have a project manager. And But you have more QSs involved. So they almost operate, operate as a PM. So you kind of already have the benefit of that experience. Mm-hmm. What was the main difference for you or the main sort of frustration that, that maybe was it not having that full sort of cost, sort of commercial responsibility on the project or? Yeah, there was probably a bit of that. It was a lot of, and it was probably because I'd been working with home builders here first, my initial first couple of roles here. It was doing an estimate work through it with the sales guys, get it approved, and then hopefully they can sell it to their client um, and get the job. And that was it. So we kind of did the estimate, draw up a schedule of materials. When the job gets one, that goes off to someone to do the buying. So it's very much a, a close a closed circuit, if you like, and nobody wanted you to say, I mean, they didn't even come back to you if, if you'd undercook your brick quantities or something like that. It was just... Oh, they didn't do that very well. <laughs> so when we started, when I started saying to the same, well, you know, where's our performance? How, how are we tracking? Nobody knew. Mm-hmm. So then I started going, well, we need to know, you know, what happened. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if something got undercooked, then what happened is something happened on site. And then we did some investigation and then worked out that, well, actually, you know, it came down to, well, you measured your concrete wrong. Well, mm-hmm. why? What did we do? And then we worked out that the subcontractor had been using the wrong size bucket to dig <laughs> his footings. <laughs> well, that's why your concrete's wrong. Yeah. So it was sort of bring things back and then eventually, you know, make more money for the company. And that's the benefit of being the curious of looking at something, assessing it, analysing it, reviewing it, putting the rates together and going, no, something's wrong. I guess then for, for you... What was it like sort of moving from the UK to, to Australia? Because um, I, I know sort of back in the early 2000s, like you turn on the, the TV or it's either BBC or Channel 4, and it was always sort of relocation, 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 move to, move to Australia. But was it kind of like what you'd imagined it to be or was there anything that maybe didn't add up? Good question. It was definitely better than, and still is, definitely better than living in the UK. Mm-hmm. It was a lot easier. There was less regulation. Mm-hmm. 
you know, less rules and regulations and you must do this and you can't do that and you can't do that and you can't do that. It was more like you can do whatever you want until someone says no. It was the UK kind of like, no, 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 oh, maybe. So sort of more freedom for people to be able to get on and do something that they wanted to do. So it's sort of, it's kind of difficult to say, but it just felt like there was more freedom for the people. Which was which was great, and then you're sort of adding much better weather. Yeah, <laughs> less traffic. <laughs> Certainly, Adelaide's got less traffic, <laughs> so you know, all adds up to a big tick. I think there's there. When I lived in in Ireland, I genuinely thought that like if you lived in Australia, you'd be finishing at three four o'clock every day. You'd be on the barbecue <laughs> at the beach at four thirty. But but it's not quite like that, is it? No, it's not. I mean. The, uh, <laughs> Certainly work harder than I ever have done. Um, yeah. But at the same time, you know, I mean, that's just that's just work. And I don't think that's different anywhere else in the world. But yeah. the good thing is I can come home, walk about my property. I can go down the beach if I want. You know, clocks have changed now. It's getting lighter later. It's mm-hmm. warming up. You know, yes, go to the beach, go to the pub. Yeah. I can now anyway. <laughs> <laughs> at least we can. <laughs> You know, it's just go up the river, up up the Murray River with your boat or find a shack or something. So, yeah, it's it's still there. So I see that you, you, you've you worked for the consultancies before, Debbie, um, as well as contractors. What's it, what's it like working for a consultancy in Australia? Is there, is there anything that you can bring having that sort of builder background into a consultancy? Yes, so having the building background and having been on site here in Adelaide as well, the the site-based experience is great because you can actually see how things get built, how they go up. You're not just looking at drawings, doing takeoffs and programs maybe as well. So it gives you the ability to see how a builder might put the tender together, and particularly with variations that might get get put in, you can assess them and probably understand pretty quickly if they're sort of trying to have a lend or not. I mean, some do, some don't. It doesn't matter, but there's there's always some builders that try and push the envelope of uh, reasonable lids. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so you know that experience is great because you you know how, you understand how things go up, you understand what it takes, you understand how many hours it takes to put up a stub ball or or put some piping in or anything like that so it's it's sort of great basis for understanding the whole construction process say if you're working as a qs for a consultancy would you be expected to do a lot more say measurement and cost planning compared to maybe what you would have done say as a quantity surveyor for a builder yeah definitely so the qs because the qs gets involved at a much earlier stage so probably, you know, always say when a building gets planned on the back of a fag packet, you know, that, that's the stage that, that a QS will get involved. And that's the great part of it is to be able to see that whole cost plan process from beginning to getting on site and when the tenders come in. So there is a lot more of that very early feasibility measurement cost planning process that goes on. Mm-hmm. But that, that's great. You just sort of see it evolve might need to get involved in some value management if it's going over budget 
And that's a great opportunity for QSs to show that we're not just talking about cutting costs and cutting out something that the architect might feel is dear to their heart with the design. Value management is about where's the value, where's the value to the client. It's not just about cost. So that's where our opportunity is at QSEs because we're branded with the the brush of, oh, you just want to cut costs. You just want to rip everything out. And that's not really what we're about, mm-hmm. about trying to get value off the project to the client for the right budget. I noticed that you've also worked as a senior cost planner and have experience in estimating as well. When I recruited in the UK, I'd never actually heard of the, the job title as a, of a cost planner. What, what does a cost planner do compared to an estimator, Debbie? So the cost planner is, is kind of the builder's QS. So it comes back to doing what a QS might do in private practice, but we're doing it for a builder. So when I worked for that builder, they did a lot of design and construct stuff, and they were fortunate in having some good clients that they just went to uh, that would go to that builder and say, hey, look, I want to do this. Um, How much is it going to cost me? So I'd be doing basically the same thing of putting cost plans together to work out budgets for new jobs for clients and working it through and working with the design team that we had within that builder to make sure that we kept on track, we kept on budget, you know, 30% design, do a new cost plan, 50% do another one, work through with, with the design team, get involved at that stage and just keep it on track. So it's very much private practice QS for a builder. Excellent. So I guess then from if someone's sitting there as a, as a quantity surveyor, maybe in the UK or, 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 or has a qualification as a quantity surveyor, working consultancy side maybe if they're ever looking to make a change in their career a cost planner role could be something of interest yep yep absolutely absolutely and builders working for a builder is is good as well because we're talking about if the builder wins the job then it's the builder's money you know it's normally still a fixed price lump sum contract so it's not just clients money it's much more sort of personal if you like Mm-hmm. with what you're dealing with so it's definitely something that if you are in the uk cost planning roles out there would definitely suit what more do you think you can add most value i know that's a tricky question is it estimating or are they all adding value in different ways like yeah i guess they are estimating is very heavily involved in a concentrated period of time to put something together because it's basically you, you, you put a tender together and you may only have three weeks to do that, mm-hmm. um, you know, whether it's half a million bucks or 50 million or 100 million. And most builders now will require an estimator to do a takeoff pretty much all parts of the building or, or the project within that time. So it is extremely busy period mm-hmm. um, and at the same time you're getting quotes in from your subcontractors which that that part of it the, the talking to the sub is it's not something that QS would normally be used to because you don't see that that far down the chain but uh, again you still need to use the QS experience you still need to be measuring probably still need to apply some rates you might want to put your own rates together and then assist it against what the subcontractor is going to put together so you can at least analyse it 
and dig into it and ask questions about how they've come up with that price. And cost planning is kind of similar. Dealing with subbies, you're just doing the takeoff and you're applying your own rates against it. The, the roles are slightly different, but the QS can always provide value mm-hmm. to all of it because you've got the benefit of the experience across across the project from beginning to end. Do you think the industry has changed much since when you first started? Oh, that's a good question. It's uh, yes and no. So the output or the outcome is still the same. We still need to have something built. The process with it, which it goes through to get there probably hasn't changed too much, and I'm not sure how it could. But I guess what's probably changed is just basically the technology of how you get there. You know, back when I was on site on that big job in London for Barclays, there was a massive team on site. We had five QSs that was four coordinators that were basically spend their whole time printing drawings to get them all out to the subcontractors as they were revised. And now the QS would probably just be emailing off a bunch of drawings to everyone, keeping them up to date. Or the contract administrator are probably on site. I guess the site teams are less. There's less people there than there used to be. But the process hasn't changed. We still need procurement. We still need to procure subcontractors and suppliers and materials. We still need guys on site to build stuff. The way that we measure is the last few years is very, very much more on-screen takeoff rather than good old scale rules and paper. I I still like to use paper drawings to at least look through, even if we're doing on-screen takeoffs. Um, But I'm, I'm still a bit old school on that. I can't quite get used to searching around the drawing for looking looking for what I need. So the technology has changed and it's probably simplified it, made it more efficient and quicker. BIM these days that the bigger builders use and obviously QSs, that is changing things. We still need to catch up a little bit on Australia, but there's a few guys out there that are pushing pushing standards and pushing to get architects on board with making it more standardised. Um, mm-hmm. So everybody can use it, uh, and that that is again is changing things, making more things efficient, making it quicker. But at the end of the day, we still need guys there to build. We still need guys coming to the site to build it, and the technology that goes into buildings is changing. You know, there's different materials out nowadays, but probably going to be a little while before we see three D printed buildings. I think. <laughs> The way things are built now is probably a little bit different. Australia is caught up with building codes and insulation standards and all the rest of it. I remember being horrified when I first came to Australia because if you wanted insulation in your house, then that was an extra. You know, they got the minimum amount, whereas the UK, I've been working with builders that were all for almost filling the loft space up with insulation. To, you know. <laughs> but, you know, that's it's a different climate in the UK, you know, trying to keep the cold out. Oh, for sure. Well, <laughs> I- I lived in I lived in New Zealand for for three years and Whoa. there's no I couldn't I couldn't understand the, the double glazing isn't really a thing in New Zealand and yeah. insulation isn't a, a standardized part of their build and you know it gets cold over there and I honestly I was colder than I'd ever been before living in New Zealand so I can understand all um, of that. Yeah, exactly. I mean, double glazing is 
probably only become a, a more standard form of glazing in the last three or four years. Mm. And even then, it's only, it's not, you know, I'm looking at a moment at a swanky new house on, on, on the coast for a client and so we need an energy report, and I know when the energy report comes back, it'll only be one elevation that'll have double glazing on it. It'll probably mm. be the west, but the rest won't be. But yeah. for me, I'll, I'll be saying, no, double glaze everything. Yeah, me too. <laughs> um, it's, it's not part of it over here, and it's, it's, it's getting there, but not yet. <laughs> So you're obviously a director at the Australian Institute of Quantity Surveyors, Debbie. What, what, what's your role within the AIQS? So there's two directors for every state and the international chapter, or two directors for every chapter. So there's about 14 or 16 people on the board. So we're all volunteers, and there are... Uh, a number of sort of subcommittees, if you like, within the AIQS that the directors look after or are part of. So I'm on the Diversity and Inclusion Committee, for obvious reasons. <laughs> so we took the AIQS at a strategic plan meeting a couple of years ago. No, last year, March last year. We have one every five years. We review where we're at, where we're at with members, how do people see us, so we need to sort of get people understanding more about what QSs do, education, standards, all the rest of it. So we said a little while ago I'd sort of flagged that we needed to understand how many females we had that were members within the AIQS. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the guys on the board were saying, no, it's fine, you know, we've got plenty. And like, have a look because I don't think you do. Mm. So they did have a look and they worked out to the guys' horror that there was like 12% of our members were female. which obviously isn't good enough and that's it's not anything to do with QSs it's just across the board in the industry within Australia so you know surprisingly enough even architects struggle as well and you'd think there'd be more females wanting to be architects so we set up the diversity inclusion committee to try and concentrate some resources into just showing girls that it's a good profession to be in and it is it's fantastic it's great I've always enjoyed it. So, you know, how are we going to promote that AQS to females and show them that, you know, it's something in industry that you should consider? And it's just, it's a part of being a construction industry that has this just, it's not a stigma, but if you spoke to lots of girls when they were 13 years old, it's probably just talk about builders, bums, and lots of guys on the site is all they see. So they just don't see that it's a real industry that the ladies want to get involved in so anyway so the dni committee is pretty much where i have some involvement but the 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 board the board's good we've now got a real cross-section of people on there and yeah most guys are professional practice qss there's a few of us that work for contractors and the the executive team really drives us forward as well so we've taken great strides in the last few years to get sort of a a younger mix of people in there as well which is excellent that's what we needed how can the industry drive more females into quantity surveying Uh, what what, what sort of what, what can we do better i've always said that we need to 
get into schools when the kids are 12 or 13. We don't need to be talking to them with careers teachers when they're 15 or whatever, when they're doing their options and thinking what subjects I want to do. We need to get in well before that to at least get in the mindset so people start thinking that it might be something they can do. Getting into schools is difficult. The AIQS did start getting into like the careers shows in a much more in a more involved way a couple of years ago. And we pull guys out of work for an hour or so to be there at the show and sort of tell the kids what we actually do. And that's been great because, you know, we've had when I've done a couple, a lot of the girls come through, oh, what is what is a QS? What do you do? And you tell them, they go, oh, okay, mm. that sounds interesting. So the trick is, though, to get into those careers people, the guys that are in the school saying, what do you want to do? Because just, and it, no, through no fault of their own, they're not even thinking about construction. They, you know, they're thinking about trades and all the rest of it, but they don't know what a QS is. So we have to educate those guys as well. You know, you go to a career show, I went to one a couple of years ago, and the ARQS at our stand, and next to us was UniSA, the nursing and midwifery course stand. <laughs> and that was just bombarded with females, with girls. Yeah. <laughs> you know, why would you want to do nursing? <laughs> For me, it's just <laughs> yeah. what I want to do, you know. <laughs> Come here. Yeah. Let me see it. Let me see it. It's quite interesting yeah. because I, I I wonder how many females would be involved in, say, professional accounting, you know, where they might be interested in numbers or they might be interested in, you know, the, the, the pounds and pence side of things, you know, and yes. like it yeah. would be really interesting to see how many, is it is it maybe like 60-40 or 70-30 or 50-50, you know, because like that would be a really interesting you know, it'd be interesting to advertise to those girls who are coming up with an interest in accounting to, sh- yep. to say, this is what a QS does. And this is these yeah. really cool buildings that we're working on. It's really hard to find people, I-, I-, I believe, like to find really good talent in construction. But like when you, re- when you think about it, literally half the population, you know, doesn't, doesn't really understand the career that you could have within the industry. Yeah, that's right. And that that's what we struggle with. And I think the industry probably struggles a bit with its whole perception and people don't realise how many different professions are actually involved within it. And, you know, everybody wants to be a project manager. But as I've said to the students at uni, you know, you don't know what it's like to be a project manager. Yeah, <laughs> you no. might change your mind when you realise what you do have to do. Yeah. So, you know, it's not all just organising people on site and telling them what to do. It's, you still need some experience to do it. And I think the QS has the great best experience to be able to do that. But anyway, I'm getting sidetracked. Accounting, I mean, I think we're better off than accountants because we don't have to learn all those bloody tax rules and yeah. <laughs> all the rest of it. <laughs> that would just blow my mind. Um, we, we're, kind of, we're kind of accountants. We manage the money. That's, that's kind of what the interesting part of it is. We manage the money, we understand where the money goes, how it gets split, and then we try and make sure that it gets put in the right box for the client. And, you know, at the end of the day, we all, need a, we all want a happy client from me as a QS to the builder 
mm-hmm. then over at the end of the day and an architect that hasn't had to deal with too much stress over the course of the project, well, then he's happy, or she even. Sorry, see, even I do it. <laughs> yeah. But there is, there is talent in the industry, and I will say, and I might be a little bit biased, but that's because there aren't that many females in the industry still. It's getting better, but there's mm-hmm. not that many. But of the ladies that I've worked with in the industry, most of them are bloody good, mm-hmm. extremely good at what they do. Come across I- very few that. Wouldn't want to work with again. <laughs> no, well, that, that's, that's. I think in terms of my side of things, I, I would just love to see more girls come into the industry, and I would like to see more contractors out there and consultancies out there offer trainee and mentorships, and you know, make a quota where seventy percent of the trainees or cadets coming in need to be female, mm-hmm. because I think it needs to be something like that, because you know. Mm-hmm. It, you have to go out with a purpose of driving more females into the industry. And then that creates a, like a momentum and a shift. And then they start saying, Oh, my sister's a QS or my, my auntie's a QS or a CA, or they start to realize that that's a real career path, but it, it takes some sort of these companies to start actually putting the mantle down and saying, we're going to hire only females for this round of cadetships or whatever yeah like agree with you in part it's it's very difficult so there's there's two things to that if you want to take on a larger proportion of women we need that many women to be coming through the degree courses anyway Mm -hmm. so it still starts right back at the beginning at the schools trying to create the interest and showing in a positive light what the industry is all about Mm -hmm. so we still need enough because if you're going to say well then we want to take on you know there's a course of 90 i think construction management at unisa normally has about 90 students a year so if you said i'm going to take all 20 of those females then you might be disappointed with a few of them but that's you know that's normal whether it's males or females so we still need a good 50% 50% of the courses to be yeah. female to make that work. I don't agree with quotas. Mm-hmm. It may work at the early stages of someone's career if you're going to take on cadets and, you know, go for a 50-50, that's fine. But later on, I just don't agree with quotas at all because it undermines the experience and the effort that someone's already put in to get where they are. You know, and the guys will be, oh, you know, oh, so you took on Debbie. Oh, yeah, well, you know, we had to meet this quota. Mm, yeah, true. So it sort of already undermined you. And guys will just say that. They won't even think about what they're saying. No, so, I, I understand yeah. that as well. And I guess it's it's trying to make the industry equal, which is essentially 50-50. So I can totally yeah. understand what, what, what you're saying. Yeah. I guess, yeah. you know, I, I wish that, you know, I have, I, I look at my database and I would say yep. at least 85% of them are male, you know? So it it's... surprised me. But, uh, yep, yeah, well, I, I, I guess it's trying to do things like this as well. Yeah, that's right. Well, that's it. I mean, you're doing, you're doing a great job in, in what you're doing with this. It's fantastic. And even, you know, across the board, to give everyone an idea of what AQS is and the, the cost side of, of, of the industry and what we do. But, you know, I mean, things are turning around. They are getting better. Mm-hmm. There are more ladies in the industry now. And, you know, it's funny 
I was on site a few years ago because I was project managing the job and I walked past and one of the plumbers said to me, oh, are you the architect? No, I'm the PM. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. All right. All right. But we have, we've got more project managers, more CAs coming in. There's a smattering of even site managers about there's more QSs there. So it's sort of just that general perception there's more there's more ladies coming in. I think companies will start seeing the benefits of that as well. We're not a bunch of people that tend to sort of think that yelling at someone will get you what you want because that's not my approach ever. So they'll probably see there'll be a lot of benefits that'll come out of it, which then means that there'll be less. I don't think people worry about taking on ladies, but if they take on take on a female, they'll be there to do a job. They won't be there just to make up numbers. Yeah, yeah, I, um, totally, I totally appreciate that as well. And you Yeah, know, it's, it's a bit of a danger at the moment is that some companies are kind of going, oh, maybe we, take a, maybe we should take on some ladies so our numbers look better. Mm. And they're just, you know, they're just almost trying it to make themselves look better. And I know a few years ago there was a couple of tier ones about that were just taking on graduate engineers as females and not training them at all. We are sort of, it, it sort of ticked a box mm. and they, the girls were stuck in an office saying, I'll just put these reports through and you'll be fine and not actually giving them any experience. Yeah, um, yeah. Well, that's totally counterproductive. The, yeah, it's, geez, it's ridiculous, but hopefully those companies are sorting themselves out now. Mm. <laughs> if there's any, any QSs out there at the moment, who are thinking of becoming a member of the AIQS, what, what, what benefits do you have of, of joining the, the association? Well, there's, there, there is heaps. I mean, you're part of a group of 4,000 other members around the world. There's three quarters of them in, in Australia. So there is, I mean, you know, obviously this year has been difficult for everyone. So having... Having the events and the site visits and all that kind of stuff we do within each state has been obviously difficult, but we'll, we're getting there. So there's the networking availability that's there. AIQS has an academy. So part of the AIQS's responsibility is to make sure that we've got enough options there for you to complete your continuing professional development. So if you become a certified QS, then you need to complete your CPD every year, mandatory. So we have other courses around webinars, the academy stuff, which gives you CPD hours when you complete them, and that goes through a whole heap of subjects. I think we've got over 100 subjects on there now. There's the kind of usual association stuff with discounts available, member advantage for all sorts of different products out there. And MAIQS after your name means a lot more than it did even 10 years ago. So as the AIQS has members, it gives us the ability to use those funds to promote what we do. So we've been out, you know, it, it, it goes full circle. We get the fees from our members. That gives us the ability to go out to lots of different people within government, Commonwealth and state and say, if you want your jobs to be running properly, you should be taking on a qualified quantity surveyor who's a member of the AIQS. Mm-hmm. So there's things happen like the Defence Department, we went to them. They now 
require a certified QS to be involved in their cost planning and budgets for their new projects. Okay. We went out to the banks and said, if you're doing, if you want bank reports done for new projects, then you should be using a certified QS because mm-hmm. they've have they've got the experience. They're doing the CPD, so they're keeping their experience up to date and their knowledge. And that's what you should be doing. And a lot of the banks said, "Yep, okay, good deal." So mm-hmm. you know, it then comes back that you need to be a member to be able to do this type of work. So there's a lot of that behind the scenes stuff that goes on as well that you don't necessarily see as a member, but it is bringing you more work. It's it's quite interesting because I've recruited in UK, Ireland, New Zealand, um, and now Australia, and a lot of companies that I work with in consultancies predominantly ask for if I'm to, to present someone to them that they are a member of the AIQS, which I guess yeah, just, just shows the, the, you know, what benefit you're getting from that straight away is that you're going to have more opportunities for jobs. Yeah, that's right. That's exactly right. And that's why we push more for companies to understand that you're taking someone and it's a member of the AIQS that they've got the experience they're up to date with all their knowledge and what they're doing. So they're obviously of much more benefit to you than someone who's not. So, you know, and they're willing. I mean, that person is obviously willing to buy fees to keep that membership up to date as well. So, you know, like I said, it's, it's a circle, bit of a circle of life within mm-hmm. that. But, you know, you're right. I have seen, I've seen a lot of adverts lately with preferred member of AIQS on there. So, you know, again, there you go. It gives you the ability to go and get that yep. new job you might be after. And at the moment, <laughs> probably uh, probably a good thing. Yeah, absolutely. I guess just, just finally, Debbie, um, is there anything that you're quite looking forward to in, in the industry or you're optimistic about? I'm always optimistic. <laughs> I, I, I guess I always put that question in there just to, to, to leave it off on a, on a positive note. <laughs> yes well look it's um look i've been got i sound old when i sound like this but i've been in the industry 30 years now i'd say to anyone who's younger maybe you know thinking of going to uni or finishing uni or somewhere through it and thinking where the hell am i going everybody's losing their jobs oh my god i've done the wrong thing you haven't done the wrong thing well, i've been made redundant twice i've still got through some of the worst recessions we've had and there's been two or three of those in 30 years there is not enough people in this industry there continues to be not enough people in this industry get your head down get as much experience as you can do your degree get qualified be an maiqs member everything you do is experience and that's what companies need so it, it doesn't matter if you feel like you're in a dead-end job at the moment it things change around they do change around. We haven't got enough people in the industry to sort of just pick and choose anyway. So keep being optimistic because it's never like that for often for long. Well, that was perfectly well-rounded and, and summarised, <laughs> Debbie. Well, thank you Good. for doing this for me today. And um, there'll be a lot of people out there that, that take a lot of value from this. Good. Yeah, I hope so. I hope so. Hey, look, I'm on LinkedIn, so if anybody does want to sort of get in touch and message me if they might have any questions or whatever then I'm happy to answer those so yeah just look me up perfect well thank you for doing this Debbie no worries 
thank you so much for listening to Made to Measure. I really hope you enjoyed the podcast. This is the only podcast in the world that focuses on the niche area of construction costing. Therefore, as an independent podcast, your support is invaluable. Please like, share, screenshot, give a review, or just tell your friends and colleagues about the show. The more people that know about the podcast, the better the guests that we can bring to you, the better the content you will consume. Thank you for joining me. I'm Mick Donaghy, and this was Made to Measure.